0: and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. and welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show. This is Knowing is Half the Podcast, and I am Ray Decanis.
2: I'm Robo Karkchan.
0: Chan. I'm Gina Ippolito. You may have seen, by the intro, by the title of this episode, we are joined by a very special guest this week. He is the story editor and writer of G.I. Joe, both the Sunbow era, but the story editor of the Deke era, so, so much of what we watched, we have questions about, and he is here to answer them all today. Doug Booth is our very special guest today. Doug, welcome to Knowing Is Half the Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Uh pretty good so far. We'll see what happens, but so far, so far hanging in. <laughs> you
0: got through the intro, so you're already I like did. at the 50% line. You I know, did. half people don't even get this far. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, we brought you in to talk about a whole lot of different things. We will get to the Deke era G.I. Joe in a little bit. Um, But first off, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about sort of your background uh, as a writer? Because I I looked at the IMDB page uh, before we got started today to sort of refamiliarize myself. But you worked on so many different iconic shows uh, from my childhood and I'm sure the childhood of our listeners as well uh as well as Sunbo era GI Joe you wrote the my favorite things serpentor episode which we enjoyed mightily uh mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit and tell us you know uh, uh, where you came from and how you got there
1: hmm well uh i started uh my animation career as an apprentice writer at Sunbow, at, at Hanna-Barbera i'm sorry got to calibrate here um and the way <laughs> the way that happened uh, I was uh, I was an American history and literature major in college, and little did I know that this was the kind of literature that I'd be working on. However, <laughs> when I was a little when I was a little kid growing up, our across the street neighbor Ray and June Patterson and their kids, Ray was a Disney animator, and June was an ink and painter, and they both had massive credits on Fantasia and lots of stuff. And then when I was Ooh. Messing around after college, trying to do this and do that. Um, for some reason, Ray and June invited me to their, his mom's, six millionth birthday party, and I went back there <laughs> and got a little drunk. And Ray said, "Yeah, uh, I'm I'm the head director at Hanna Barbera now. We got to get you down to the studio." And I said, "Oh, that would be fun. Sure." And then when I called him up about a week <laughs> later, he said what? (laughs) And he said, he said, okay, that'll be fine. That'll be great. So I went there and ended up writing some, (laughs) some spec material for captain caveman. And um, then Mm -hmm. nothing happened. And then I was working as a driver for a show called super night at the super bowl. And one of the things I had to deliver was the Tom and Jerry um, with uh, Gene Kelly. They had borrowed that and were using it in their show. So I had to run that back to Hanna-Barbera. And when I did, I stopped in and thought, okay, I'll drop in on Art Scott, who was their head of creative at the time. And I said, hey, Art, what about all that material? He said, oh, you want to be an apprentice writer? Um, You start Monday. And (laughs) that was was how I got started. So it was, wow. it was goodness. really neat um, and I think I made, I think my, my salary was $238 a week and uh, I was in an office with two other guys and we just started churning out material and really it was a great, wonderful time to learn because there were so many of the really super old timers there. Um, Lars Bourne, who, who created Deputy Dog and did a lot of Terry Tunes, he was sort of our mentor. And then uh, Chuck Couch, who was uh, an old Disney hand, he was one of our buddies. And then Tex Avery came on board, and Tex, who, of course, of Bugs Bunny fame and everything else, and um, they used to share their little office where they had their Sun City sign on it, and they would all take naps in the afternoon. But but when Tex would be walking through the (laughs) halls, he would actually say, hey, what's up, doc? As just a normal greeting. So you knew he was for real. So anyway, so I, worked, I worked there for for a really nice time. And then um, when they finally decided it was time to lay me off, they laid me off and Andy Hayward off at the same time. And Andy went on to create Deke. Um, and then I worked, I worked on other shows, freelance. I worked at Filmation. I worked on He-Man Masters of the Universe. And some other mm-hmm. stuff. And then I got a call to go and talk to some folks about s- this place called Sunbow Productions and, uh, that they needed to hire some people. Um, I watched, I don't think I'd se- I don't know if I'd seen the first GI Joe miniseries by then or not, but when I saw it, it was like, Oh my God, these guys are hitting each other. They're shooting at each other. They're doing all these cool things. <laughs> What I used to do with my friends when I was eight years old um, in the backyard. And I thought, this could be really fun. Um, so that was when I, I got on with Sunbow, and uh, what they did was they Flint Dilly was my counterpart, and I had written a bunch of Transformers mm-hmm. already with um, Dick Robbins and um, uh, oh my God. We're still friends, but, but how, Bryce Malick, Bryce Malick, who, who, who I had known at uh, Hanna-Barbera because he worked in the payroll department and he was the person who used to hand out our checks every week. So so Bryce was a very important person, but he was really a writer. And then he became uh, a writer it's at really hanna a good Barbera. way to be
0: popular is be the guy who gives people checks.
1: Oh my God. He was so popular. And he was so nice. He's such a nice guy. And then he became a child psychologist probably to oh. make amends Jeez. for all the childhoods he's uh injured <laughs> for his work but <laughs> any anyway he didn't kill optimus prime though he did not so- he's not the one who killed optimus prime <laughs> that was Ron Friedman. um but uh so, so flint was kind of the supervising producer for transformers i was the supervising producer for gi joe uh we were titled associate producer but really we represented Sunbow and Hasbro, and we got to story edit the storyboards, which was really, really fun. Um, Steve Gerber was the story editor on G.I. Joe, the first season that I was working and You know, Steve was wonderful, and the scripts were brilliant, and they were all 45, 55 pages long, which is like way, 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 way too long, but they all got story boarded, <laughs> and then we would work them as best we could. And I I saw my role as being the defender of the script because the storyboard artists were brilliant artists, but they didn't always understand the story. They didn't always know Mm -hmm. the flow. They didn't always know what the character points we were making. So that was really wonderful to get to go through those boards and make sure that they conveyed the story that was being told. Um, And then I would go to all the recording sessions, which were kind of like romper room crazy land because all the voice actors were brilliant and probably certifiably insane. Certainly Chris Lotta, Cobra commander was, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <what a guy. laughs> and Wally Burr, the voice director was, was sort of like the camp counselor, drill sergeant, tried to keep them in, 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 line and did a pretty good job. And, uh, then I would go to the dubbing sessions where they would blow, <laughs> blow these things up onto a 35 millimeter screen and add the sound effects and the, uh, you know, the voice track and the music and they held up for cheap TV animation on a 35 millimeter screen. They looked pretty good. They really did. And so that was, that was my previous GI Joe, um, experience. And then when Sunbow kind of stopped, when when Hasbro started pulling the plug on a lot of their toy lines and, and doing that, um, I started working other places, but the way the Deek thing happened, I had I had spent my last money to go trekking in Nepal. So I was up in the Himalayas, walking around with um, you know all of our, our Sherpas, <laughs> and we had we had this really cool young Tibetan monk um, who was with us, and we would stay in monasteries and just had a wonderful time. And I was kind of thinking, okay, what am I going to do when I get home? What am I going to do when I get home? What am I going to do when I get home? That was my mantra. And uh, when we got back to Kathmandu, I had a call at the hotel from Robbie London, I believe, who was the, the head of creative at um, D. And he said, hey, Doug, um, you want to work on this new GI Joe series? Yes. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> that's what I came back to.
0: So essentially, uh, some of the, I mean, we have all kinds of questions, you know, about even pre uh Deke era, and what would really, what you said that really hits me is, you know, you worked on, uh, like dozens of episodes of the Smurfs that you wrote. You and know then, what? And, okay. And then, that's, that's an IMDB
1: yeah. glitch. Okay.
0: And not, because, I don't, cause I saw that on there and it blew my mind
1: and, and it's not true and it's not true, but you know, it's not,
0: see, I need to get this, I need to get this cleared. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, IMDB is missing several hundred of my credits. And the wow. fact that they gave me too many Smurfs, I thought, <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, they, <laughs> the, the person who probably deserves them, and I haven't talked with him in about 30 years, was my Hanna-Barbera writing partner, Glenn Leopold, who became the story editor of Smurfs and after after I had left. And I wrote, mm-hmm. I think I wrote really only one Smurf and one, Johan and Pee Wee. Uh, okay. But so so that's... Well,
0: I guess they shouldn't have uh, changed their
1: name to Doug Booth right before they went ahead and did all that work. <laughs> I guess not. I guess that was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, just think of all the royalties that uh, I've gotten from that. Not really, but uh, not really. It's a, it's a good work. It's good work. <laughs> uh, but there's lots. Um, I mean, again, there, there are several hundred other credits that they don't have. And it's wow. really, really, really hard to get stuff into IMDb, which I've yeah. done at times because there were some that I really wanted to put up. But there's so many others that I just didn't. So I'm just kind of letting that one go for the time being. But now that you brought it up, I might, but- be, I might have to fess up to them and say, hey, yeah, take them off, take them off.
0: <laughs> no i would say right now if i'm the one responsible for losing you all of this imdb cred i i cannot i will not be able to sleep at night i'm sorry well, no, Chan, no
1: no but ray question? what you no uh, look at what? this way i you will be the one responsible for me going back through all the other ones that they don't have and okay. me trying to figure out how to put them up so you you may this is a good thing okay i <laughs> was able to sleep now
2: what's the biggest thing that uh isn't on there that you're most proud of
1: oh uh, gee i don't know um I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I think back, back with the Sunbow stuff, um, I think I put up all of the Conan, the adventurer ones that I actually wrote. Uh, I was the producer. I was a, a producer on that show as well, but, um, our French partner, because he wanted to get all the SACD society, auteurs, composers, and directors, royalties, which are really pretty significant. He wanted to claim all of those. So he took all the screen credit for that, and Sunbo basically, probably because it was business, they just said, okay, deal with it. You know, do you want to work on the show? You wrote the Hmm. English adaptation, okay, live with it. Well, on IMDb, I think that's (laughs) one of the ones that I went back and changed, because it just wasn't true. Uh, But then I did a lot of work um, on European shows. Uh, I did a lot of work on it. There for Greenlight, it was called Greenlight Media. Then became Berliner Film. There was something called I think it changed its name to Shadow of the Elves. I wrote a whole bunch of those. Um, Martha Moran and yeah. I were also we wrote a lot of stuff for for something called Adventurers in Time, which is a a kids time travel show going through history, which was quite fun. Um, uh, just you know, I mean, I kind of was was. Every time at two in the morning, when I realized I was getting broke again, I would say, "Well, it's two in the morning here, <laughs> but it's nine a.m. in France. Let me get on the phone." <laughs> so, so that's that's uh, that's what I would do. <laughs> so, there's a whole lot of those credits floating around. No, you got
0: to work those contacts.
1: You do. You do. <laughs>
0: that's. That's fantastic. So, yeah, because I just, you know, I look back and I was just like, you know, obviously I recognize your name from all of the uh, Transformers as well as the G.I. Joes. Sure. But then to also see, you know, your work on shows, iconic shows like the Godzilla cartoon of the late 70s. Oh, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. Uh, Street Sharks, Pro Stars, uh, shows shows we have watched for this uh, a uh-huh. show before. Oh, now fun. we kind of have to go back and find your episodes to talk about those.
1: Well, I think I was, <laughs> I was the story editor of Pro Stars. Oh, my gosh. As I vaguely recall... Yeah. What was, what, what is now before we get
0: into more GI Joe, what the heck was that about? Because for the people at home, let me just explain pro <laughs> stars. We've done an episode of it for this show. And pro stars said, what if we get all four major professional American sports represented in three guys? Cause Bo Jackson does two right, of them both, and yeah. we, we give them superpowers and we have them just kind of fight generic crime. So you had Wayne Gretzky for hockey, Michael Jordan for basketball and Bo Jackson for football and baseball. None of whom were voiced by the original, uh, <laughs> Uh, of course not. Athletes cuz they couldn't act. You've seen Michael Jordan in commercials. Stop it. Get <laughs> oh, some help. Oh. So and, and so my, you got uh, real actors in there. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Michael yeah. Jordan was great yeah. in Space Jam.
2: <laughs> it's Space Jam. Okay. Uh, That's right. Will,
0: That's we right. Will, <laughs> we will we will agree to disagree. <laughs> 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 but um, so what is it like walking in the door being handed Pro Stars as a property and what was your
1: mindset of what you wanted to do with it? Uh, okay. That that may be hard to remember. I remember, <laughs> I I just love Bo Jackson, or sure, because you know Bo Bo knows everything, and that was <laughs> yep. I mean that was kind of like for me the key. I love Space Jam, and no, I'm not a hockey player, but but Wayne Gretzky and Andy Hayward were good buddies, so he had to be in the show and he had to be cool, and then and I think I think there was sort of. um you know, their M, uh, their, their mission control was a little old lady who I think that was either a Robbie London or a Andy Hayward, um, contribution. And that was fun because having these, you know, giant macho guys and having this little old lady run it. So that was quite, it was a fun show. I mean, honestly, I don't remember it at all. I just remember it was fun. (laughs)
0: honestly you remember as much about it as i do having watched it recently so oh there you
1: go there you go
0: on, we're all on the same page it was fun yeah. uh without yeah, question i just, I was, just I remember was Wayne hitting people with a stick yeah that's it that's it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so so you 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 walked in the door uh, uh working on sunbow era gi joe and and i have it listed here the, the, the big episode that you wrote was in season two, but you said that you were around for season one as well, working on that. Well,
1: again, season one, I was the supervising producer. I mean, that wasn't my, my title was associate producer, but I was the supervising producer for Sunbow Productions for all of season one. So So did you have any
0: influence in some of the stories or was it more of just like helping pare down uh, the other ideas?
1: Well, what I was, no, my, my role was to protect the stories. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so in other words, Steve, Steve and, and Jay Bacall. And I think, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe Flint and Buzz did a little bit of story editing for the first season. I'm not sure. I didn't write any episodes for that. Um, yeah. I, I was writing episodes for transformers at that time. And then I was also story editing and writing for two other shows. Um, one was called glow friends Jeez. and the other was called potato head kids. Yep. And those were part of the, my mm-hmm. little pony and friends. So mm-hmm. I was yep. really busy, but I wasn't. I wasn't writing per se on GI Joe. I was supervising, and I was. I was. I was just. I was the protector. I was the guardian angel. Yeah, which was which. Just was to great. be in the
0: room already is gotta have been magic.
1: <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. You, yeah. Do you, do you have to
2: get into fights with artists, or uh, uh, were you uh, just having to explain to them? Like,
1: I had no. I didn't get into fights. I did have one of the guys at Glen Glen, um a sound mixer, did actually threaten to kill me. And I don't know if I'm <laughs> curious or not, but it was it was the first it was the first death threat I had ever gotten through my work as a uh animation <laughs> professional. And I was I was really but proud of that. Last. I thought, that's right, yo Joe, you know, bring it on. Um, <laughs> what was what was the source of this uh this problem? Uh I think I felt that his explosion was covering up an important line of dialogue. It was probably something like that. And it was a story point. And it's like, no, you got to dial it down, man. And, uh, and the supervisor, a guy named Steve Brown was terrific. He was wonderful. He was like the post-production supervisor, but this other guy was just, no, I'm not dialing it down <laughs> or something. But, <laughs> oh, but it, it got dialed down because I represented Hasbro and they were paying the bills. So, you know, People, yeah. people get real. <laughs> At the end of the day, you were the one in the suit. <laughs> That's right. I was so the suit, even the though even stage. though I wasn't. I was. I was. Yeah. But the artists, <laughs> no. Right. I was. I was mostly doing the storyboards with the producers, um, and and they were great. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were guys I knew from G, uh, from from um, Hanna Barbera, and and they were just terrific. And I, you know, I was trying to be as reasonable and not artsy fartsy, but just like, hey, let's tell the story. Let's make sure it gets across. It's a great show. Let's just make sure that it's it's clear and understandable. So that was that was what I did. Um, yeah, love so, it. Yeah,
0: and, th- and I love the story of you in the Himalayas uh, being uh, offered the the Deke era uh, GI Joe gig. Like that to me, it has all the magic and mystery that I would have wanted from that moment. So Absolutely. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> well, and Ray, so here's here's the here's the bookend to that story. After I had yes. finished working on the, stu- the show, I got the storyboard for the first episode, Operation Dragon Fire, which took place in the Himalayas. I sent oh, it Jesus. back to the the I think it was called Bodanath Monastery in Nepal, where my buddy Tashi <laughs> Lama was. and I, so I sent oh, it to him. God. I was scared the character named Rinpoche was actually Tashi. but I was scared that it really? would be it would be offensive. If I used his name in a crass American cartoon, um, the cool thing about Tashi the whole time on our trip, he kept saying how what he really, really, really wanted were these special mala prayer beads that were made out of fragments of human skull. And um, so at the end of the trip, I coordinated because they were expensive. I coordinated with all of our fellow Voyagers and we chipped in and got Tashi um, a mala thing of human skull fragments. So that was Tashi. And he was also a special emissary for the Dalai Lama. So you can, you know, it's kind of a very fun, fun mixed bag. But as he was sitting in his little monastic cell, (laughs) paging through his G.I. Joe um, storyboard, one of the American monks who came every summer to look and said, hey, what's that? And Tashi said, oh, that's that's for my friend, uh, Doug Booth. He put me in a cartoon. And the guy says, Doug Booth? That's my high school debating partner. And it was. The guy, <laughs> the guy who was there was a guy named Ken Lieberman who, um, who went every summer to the monastery after he, he had been a, a college professor in Australia and an anthropologist and was atoning for his sins because he had written a book about um, <laughs> aboriginal culture. That was just a very scholarly good book. But then all the oil companies or whatever drilling mining companies read his book and used it as a way to get around the aborigines and cheat them out of their land. So oh, Ken no. felt very guilty oh, and became a no. Buddhist monk. <laughs> that's how he ended up in <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a Wow Nepal
0: and uh, move right
1: there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that yeah, was. I, I was aware
2: that cap. the uh, uh, <laughs> the animation world is small. I didn't realize that uh, uh, people going to Buddhist temples also a very small world. Very, very, <laughs> and, very and small small world. world. And, and the world
1: of high school That's debate. That's right, the world of yeah. debate. We were we were excellent debating partners.
0: GI <laughs> <laughs> Joe will return after these messages. But here's the Cobra Mamba. Cobra,
2: Cobra Mamba is power is brightening out of the blue. It's bright by yeah!
0: The Cobra Mamba is a fast attack copter with laser guns and missiles.
2: These for squitter. The Mamba sides detach to become attack pods. Triple threat, me and yet, Cobra Mamba. Go, go! And nobody beats G.I. Joe, the real American
0: hero. Cobra Mamba and other vehicles and figures sold separately. Jump, jump! Now back to GI Joe. So you you were you were uh, put in charge uh, in the, and tell me if I'm wrong here. So like, what were your official? Because it seems like you were sort of like the guy overseeing the Deke era GI Joe property. Uh, unless I am horribly mistaken, set me right.
1: No, uh, no, not the like Deke had era. A lot of the Sunbow. This this the first season of Sunbow. So the what were your
0: season. what were your official uh, uh, responsibilities for Deke era?
1: For the Deke era, I was simply this. I, I wrote the first miniseries, the well, the only miniseries, the five-part miniseries, and then there were there was an initial run of about twenty-four other episodes that I story edited and I wrote a couple, and then I think they 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 did a second season, and that's when they said, "Oh, we need all these in two weeks, so we're going to bring on Martha, uh, so you guys can do them all in two weeks or whatever it was." So. <laughs> you know, which was wonderful because Martha oh was great. But so she, she took half of them and I took half of them, I think. And we simply, you know, we got the writers and, and supervised them. And, um, so, so the important distinction that I, I was actually talking with Flint Dilly the other day, uh, who was, you know, our, our experience was more in Sunbow, but I, I, I said that I, I actually had a lot of fun with the Deke series. I really enjoyed it. It was very, very different. The budget was, oh, I don't know, a half or a third of what we had for Sunbow. The sensibility was completely yeah. different. Uh, we were only allowed 10 speaking roles per episode, whereas with the Sunbow one, we had like 30, 40. Oh. So they were they were massive. The the Sunbow yeah. ones were, were really feature films that were cut down into 20 some odd minutes. Um, the the Deke ones, the script length went from about 45 pages to about 30 pages, uh, and the animation was paced very, very differently. Um, they didn't have me trimming the editing to make everything go fast and to cut out the blank spots and the whole frames to save money. And um, essentially, it was sort of the difference between the Sean Connery, Daniel Craig, James Bond films, and the Pierce Brosnan Um <laughs> Roger Moore James Bond films. So, th- so that was it. Mm-hmm. And I have enjoyed both. That's fair. Uh, and come on, I, I worked on Scooby Doo, so I just switched I switched into a much more Scooby Doo mentality and thought, okay, it's the Cobra Commander Comedy Hour. Let's go. And that's that's yep. kind of how it went. It, and I we I, did, I didn't feel that. like I was desecrating a holy object. I just thought, okay, this will be a fun cartoon show by itself, and let's have fun with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, so no, because no, uh, I mean, so you, you, you obviously had that experience with the Sunbow leading into Deke. So when it came time to write Operation Dragonfire, obviously the animation style completely different, a lot more, a, a completely different color palette. That's the real thing that just uh, absolutely.
1: Out to me. I know, mm-hmm. I know, very different. And pastel. Buzz has talked to uh, us so a little how, bit.
0: How did? Yeah, it's pastel. Yeah, Buzz has talked to us a little bit about the about the. I think he referred to it as. Sort of a, a almost like a
1: pyramid scheme of Deke cartoons, <laughs> uh, that they sort of used money from well, one cartoon. Yeah, to I mean, Buzz. The- oh, funny, maybe, maybe Buzz was <laughs> one of the few writers who refused to write a G.I. Joe episode for the Deke one. He, oh. he absolutely said, No, I, I can't, I can't do that to my soul. <laughs> 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 other, I, I had other people who who wrote excellent episodes for mine and they had worked on the sunbow show as well and yep we're, we're okay we, with we it, talked but... to
0: christy marks for the show and she uh, she said that you had reached out to her uh, and you said i did this straight but she said you reached out to her and then she right. came in and wrote two of the best episodes of the deke
1: era we think at least oh well good good which ones did hmm. she write because i don't I, she, I can't remember
0: she wrote uh the bioc episode
1: oh okay And
0: oh gosh, why am I blanking on the other one? The
1: mind mangler.
0: Mind mangler. Yes, that was the other
1: one. I mean, of course Christy would have. You know, of of course course she would have. Of course, (laughs) and of course I would have been. I was at the time. I was thrilled that she said that she would. (laughs) Even if I don't remember it, I know that I would have. That's exactly how I would have felt about it. Exactly how I would have felt about it. Yeah. And
0: so you know we did a, we've done a whole thing that we you know we've 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 talked about and watched all five episodes of Operation Dragonfire uh-huh. there's a lot of kind of things that stick out the palette was one of them yeah. uh, the different use of cobra as an entity is definitely another one and i was mm-hmm. wondering if maybe you could just talk about that a little bit of how the complete just idea of cobra because and let me just monologue for a sec before i let you uh, answer because i'm <laughs> like that but in, in the sunbow era cobra was this very efficient very well-funded, uh, very dynamic organization with highly skilled people in it at all things. And if you, if G.I. Joe had to be at the top of their game all the time, or Cobra legitimately would take over the world. Whereas now we get into the Deke era where they don't have any money, they don't work well together, nobody's particularly good at their jobs, and they're getting <laughs> beaten physically by kindergartens on a playground. <laughs> no, 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 no. And Absolutely, obviously, that's the biggest, like, the shock to the system going from Sunbow to Deke era is the handling of Cobra. And I just was curious kind of, uh, uh, where that came from. Was there a directive or, or, or kind of how did that come about?
1: Yeah. Well, that was, that was the Deke directive because they had no intention of making, um, a more hard edged, uh, you know, stronger medicine GI Joe. (laughs) They wanted to make a, you know, inspector gadget, um, version of, of GI Joe. That was just, that was their studio sensibility. Um, Hasbro signed up for it and, uh, they paid their bills. Um, so (laughs) that was, that was it. I mean, it was, I think, you know, I think, think Robbie and, and Andy and just the palette of shows that they worked with. That was, that was what their style was. So, so yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, it
0: makes a and, lot of sense. And I yeah. sort of, you look at I some think, of the other Deke properties, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, just, just they were all kind of goofy, silly comedy adventure shows where the bad guys were kind of incompetent, uh, had a, a bumbling sidekick who would always mess up the supervillain, who would <laughs> scream and yell and rail at them, and there would be explosions all over the place, but nobody ever, you know, nobody landed a punch and uh they basically lost through their own incompetence and maybe a real feisty kindergarten kid so it was it was, it was it was very it was very different and it was again once i realized that that's what we were doing and that was kind of my transition through the operation dragonfire thing um and i'm sure i got edited a lot along the way um if i could remember it um it was a fun it was a fun show, but it was again it was like writing a Hanna Barbera show, not like writing a Marvel comic that was being animated. I mean, very, very different.
0: Yeah. No, and and, and that all shows because that's one thing that we noticed when we started watching the Sunbow era, Gina in particular, you'd never seen a G.I. Joe anything before. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really struck us we were doing a fresh eyes rewatch of all of the original Sunbow was mm-hmm. how many icons of comic book industries, especially Marvel, showed up to write an episode. You got Marv Wolfman sure. and uh, Steve Gerber, obviously, and, and just sure. so many others. Like, holy crap, these people are like legends. Jerry Conway. Uh, uh, sure. uh, yeah. And, and and so, oh, sure. this th- this is a part of the reason why it all has such a different, like, crazy comic book feel to it. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Where did so many of the G.I. Joe Deke era writers uh, come from?
1: Well, a number of them came from Sunbow. But, for example, I think, just let me try to remember. I mean, Flint, Flint Dilly wrote an episode and, yep. um, Christie wrote a couple of episodes. Eric early, who was, uh, a post-production supervisor at Sunbow wrote episodes for the D De- wrote scripts. And they were, I think among his first cartoon scripts. And it was really fun to work with him on that. Um, the guy who wrote the Cobra world one, Tony Zaleski, um, I had worked with him on a bunch of different shows and I'm not sure Well, he had written. I'm sure he'd written for Sunbow. I'm just not sure. Oh, I think he wrote one of the, the darkest, most, um, Oh God, program practices will kill us for this, uh, Transformers episodes where I'm not even really sure what happened hey. is if, if you go back and look at the credits, I think you will find him in there. Um, and I think Rick Merwin probably wrote one or two for me. David Carroll and Larry Karen, who are are brilliant writers and they were Star Trek writers and all kinds of stuff. I'm pretty sure they wrote a couple of episodes for me, but they had also written some really good episodes for the, the Sunbow G.I. Joe. Um, so it was it was just within it was within the same generalized circle. Uh again, Buzz didn't want to write an episode. Christy was willing to, you know, dirty her hands and, and do some really good work. Um and well, I was just, you know, whoever whoever I would call and would say, Yeah, sure, come on down. <laughs> I
2: love it. How how hands on were you with just like the production of the whole thing? I mean, where you uh I was involved very in not hands on.
1: Or... Very with oh, the okay. Deke one, I had very, very little to do. It was a that was a complete switch. It was a total okay. switch. I, I would turn in the episodes, and that was pretty much it. The the story, the producer it was either John Gruzed or I think Jim Duffy, who I knew from Sunbow. I knew John from other stuff at Deke. They pretty much took it over. I'm not really – I mean, with the Operation Dragonfire, yeah, I got the storyboards back for that one, but I don't think I was really seeing much in the way of storyboards. Um, whereas with all the Sunbow shows I worked on, yeah, I was I was a co-producer on on all of them, and that was really neat. That was fabulous. But Deke was just not set up that way. It was a different different setup.
0: Yeah, and, and, and to what you said before, it, one of the things that really struck us, besides everything else I've talked about, is uh, and Buzz Dixon spoke to us about this. We felt that the GI Joe Sunbow era episodes were aimed at say ten and eleven year old kids, uh, right. little boys. But the right. Deke era seems like it's more aimed at like a seven or eight-year-old with some of this the mentality were young, about it. They
1: were younger-themed shows. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, they were. yeah.
0: And, and one of the other interesting things that I don't know if you have a comment on this, but one of the things that I noticed between the two series is in Sunbow, when a vehicle would get blown up or an airplane would get blown up, you'd always see the parachute. You know, you know, the old trope, the parachute flies Absolutely. and you see the guy survive. One of the things I've noticed in Deke era is more often than not. And it's weird because in Cobra world, you actually get the parachute in, right in the opening scene, which blew my mind. But often the airplanes and the vehicles and the helicopters get blown up and the people just plummet to earth. <laughs> with no parachute, but they're still fine. They're still fine. They land in like a bale of hay or something. And I was wondering if that was a specific choice that somebody along the lines made, because it is, I'm so used to the parachutes that when we started having episode after episode, after episode of it being an actual plot point, that the people would be falling to their death with no parachute. And they have to hit a bunch of like uh, awnings on the way down on the side of the building (laughs) to land in a dump truck full of tires. I was just curious if that was a conscious decision.
1: Uh, uh, it might, it might be cheaper to have a character falling through space without having to have a parachute, animate a parachute (laughs) opening and popping. And if they just land on some random item in the background, I I don't know. I really don't know the one it's it's pretty funny because I noticed in the opening of the Cobra world one, which I rewatched. And honestly, I don't know if I worked on that one or Martha worked on it. I really don't remember. But Mm -hmm. when, when they're doing the, the kind of the, the, the fake opening where it looks like the character is in mortal peril and of course falls out without a parachute and goes through the big top and lands on some mattresses. But the Cobra planes that he shoots, nobody comes out with parachutes there. And I, I was thinking, Oh my God, that's breaking the first rule of, uh, nobody gets hurt in this show. Um, but there might have been the assumption that these were all battle Android troopers who were robots anyway. So who cares? Mm. So it's a possibility. That's I an really expensive don't know.
0: stunt show, really.
1: <laughs> it is to lose. I one find it those- hard
0: to believe they would be able to put that show on uh, uh, every single night, <laughs> every two hours. It just seems <laughs> like costs would catch up to them after a while. I,
1: I would <laughs> think so. I think you're probably right. huh Yes. <laughs> that's why that's why when they tried to open Cobra World in in Burbank they had to close it down right away. It just didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an adjunct to Travel Town. Ooh, I forget. But
0: <laughs> Look,
1: uh. I mean, look, Travel Town's one
0: of my favorite places in all of LA. <laughs> so you like you you're hitting me right in the heart right now.
1: I know. I love Travel Town too. Come on. I went there when I was a little kid. <laughs>
0: Um, so, Doug, do you have any other? Because uh, uh, another thing I noticed here after after you left GI Joe, and and I hope this is not an IMDb mistake because now I don't trust anything they do Uh-oh. anymore. Yeah, truly. Hipped me to that. Uh, but you, 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 one of the last couple credits you have is working on the show Barney and Friends. Oh sure, that was and real. I yeah okay. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what? like that's a show that we all are aware of. That's a show from all of our childhoods or at least our adolescence as we were aware of the show yeah. or maybe have even seen a few episodes. And yeah. I've always wondered what it's like to work in that kind of children's entertainment, because obviously your work with, you know, Transformers, GI Joe, Ninja Turtles, that's appealing to a certain audience, but obviously Barney is skewing, you know, the under five crowd. And how do, how do you approach that? What, it, what is it like to be in that world?
1: Um, it's actually quite fun. My kids would watch Barney every day and we would all sing along. So I had the Barney theme song (laughs) running through my brain. Um, and I also worked on a lot of, I mean, again, with the sunbow, I worked on, if if you've ever seen glow friends, which are little forest creatures that glow Mm -hmm. in the dark and, and potato head kids, you know, go potato, all that stuff. So I've worked (laughs) on a lot of, much younger shows. And, and it's quite fun. You just, you just adjust your emotional, um, uh, frequency to being three years old again and saying, Oh, what, you know, what would, what would tickle me? What would be really fun? And uh, that's great. Yeah. Now We've watched
0: we've watched Glow Friends for this show before. So we oh. definitely have had that experience. Potato Head Kids. We have not. So, Chan, we need to put that on the big board <laughs> the list of shows to do.
1: Look, uh, out. Doug,
0: we're going to find one of your Potato Head Kids episodes. There you uh, go. Guaranteed now we'll be doing it in a Uh-oh. future uh, uh, season five, maybe of this show. Big trouble. Big
1: trouble. <laughs> yeah, those and those characters. Those were actually kid characters. They were really wonderful child actors. And our oh, director, wow. Jenny McSwain, who I think became the in-house voice director at Disney after, after a while, she just got wonderful performances out of these little kids. And they were just fabulous. They were so wonderful. Because I was That's at all fantastic. those recording no. sessions, of course. So I, before, before,
0: uh, we, we get out of here, uh, I've got to ask, are there any specific stories from the Deke era, uh, uh, that you remember either through the process or through the company or, uh, uh, some of the reaction to the show when it came out? Is there any, any, I'd love to hear some stories and anecdotes for kind of your time and your experience. Well, with here's,
1: you, here's, you here's probably, yeah, this is probably the funniest story, uh, which has absolutely nothing to do with GI Joe, but it was, it was Deke and, uh, we, we got a call, uh, from Robbie, Robbie London, again, who was the creative director. Robbie said, Hey, Doug, um, I think it was just, it was me and Paul Dini, of course, of Batman <laughs> fame and many other things. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, somehow, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This wasn't Deke, this was filmation. I think it no, this was filmation, still a good, it's too good a story not to tell. No, nope, we're going But it, it <laughs> was filmation. And you remember filmation. Um which did which did He-Man and then did a, a lot of other shows, but not really the most cutting-edge studio in the world in terms of uh, what we were asked to do. Uh, Lou Scheimer thought that he was going to get the rights to Frank Zappa and Moon Unit Zappa's Valley Girl song, and they wanted to do <laughs> a Valley Girl cartoon show. So they sent me, Paul Dini and Robbie up to meet with Frank. So we drove up one evening up into Laurel Canyon and entered his walled compound where, uh, as we walked in, Dweezil, who was about 13 or 14 at the time, was sitting in the hallway playing his guitar, playing these amazing riffs, but just, you know, (laughs) didn't look up, just like, you guys, what are you doing here? Come on, get out of my way. And uh, so we walked past him, (laughs) walked into the walked into the, um, main room where we met Frank and we met Gail, his wife. And then Moon came out and I don't know, I'm not exactly sure if she, she did something. I don't think she sang Valley Girls for us because we all knew Valley Girls. And, but then Gail, but what Frank really wanted to do, he had his own cartoon show that he wanted to put on. And it was all about these. universal studio executives who were probably in league with the devil. And what they would do is they would, in in this kid's cartoon, they would snort cocaine and they would turn into bozo clowns. (laughs) 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 That was his idea of really good Saturday morning entertainment. (laughs) And he also told us the story how once when he was up at his house, this bedraggled homeless person with fingernails about six inches long climbed over his wall, collapsed in the yard, knocked on the door, and said, "Hey, hey, Frank, um, it's me, Bob. I want you to produce my next record." It was Bob Dylan who would come in, <laughs> and that was so. That was, that was that was that was our evening with Frank, and um, we never really got around to after he told us his story. That was what he wanted to do. That was his idea of doing Valley Girls for cartoons on TV, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, it never got perfect. made. I, don't, I can't imagine why, but it never got made. Uh, <laughs> but that so that wasn't Deke, But if he had
2: done it, just a still yeah, great. If he'd done know, it like, on adult like a few swim, years like later, like, like years uh, later. Uh,
1: yeah, that's right. But Robbie, yeah. Robbie was really the second in command at Deek. So when I when I realized Robbie was along. With, with that experience, I just thought it was a deep sh- story, but it was actually a filmation story. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Love it. But it's still quite Love fun. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the deal. No, we're, we're all better for having heard it. Because now <laughs> I want the universal executive snorting cocaine turning into clowns with the devil and putting <laughs> on uh, uh, what I assume to be obnoxiously terrible programming, which is the next logical step of this arc. Nurse, That's, I can right. Tell. That's
1: right. Uh, That's look, right. Now, look. If Adult
0: Swim doesn't pick this up at this point, based on <laughs> this alone, I don't know. Somebody's asleep at the wheel, Gina. I think I have your next pitch for Cartoon Network. <laughs> yep, yep. And probably we'll
1: do the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good.
0: Gina actually is so, is so industrious. She's actually already written the first three episodes as we were talking. Yeah, I've got bible ready to go. Good at her job that she is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic! That's great. That's great.
0: <laughs> well, cool. Any other questions you guys had for uh, uh, for Doug?
2: Like, uh, uh, how much interaction uh, did you have uh, during the Deke era with the uh, voice talent?
1: Uh, 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 Where their characters,
2: or I think no, none, no?
1: because it was they were it was all. Oh, the first episode, the 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 Dragonfire one, it was all recorded in Vancouver, at Studio oh. B in Vancouver, and we flew up for that. So we did, but they were different actors. The only one, uh, Chris Lada or Chris Collins, he went by both names. Um, I believe he was, he was Cobra commander for the run of the show just because come on, it was the, it was the Cobra commander show. Uh, and I mean, I hung out with him a bit in during the Sunbow era and he was very funny, very talented and psycho insane. Uh, he, he was yes. he was Cobra Commander. He was Starscream in a very good hearted way. But he was. <laughs> so he he lived the role. Do you have a good uh, do you have a
0: good Chris Lotta story? Because everybody seems to have one who ran in his spheres.
1: Uh, well, Flint and I went out to Palm Springs to catch his uh, stand-up act. And uh, we we drove out there in my little at the time Mazda RX seven. And oh, we, we caught the act and basically it was, he was a really good stand-up comedian, but you also weren't sure uh, you, you, you were scared to death that if you didn't laugh properly, he was going to come down from the stage and rip your throat out. I mean, that was, <laughs> he kind of, he projected a lot of humorous menace on stage. He was much scarier than the Cobra commander in the Deke series. I will say that. And then we we kind of, and then we loaded him and one of his, it was like a comedy club, one of his opening act guys in the back of, again, my two-seater Mazda RX-7. I don't even know how we did it. And we drove around Palm Springs for the night and something happened. And I think based on an interaction between Chris and his friend, we ended up leaving his friend by the side of a desert road and driving back to LA. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think Flint and I would have done that if we thought the guy was in any danger of, you know, being eaten by coyotes or attacked by bikers or anything. So I think it was he was safe, but it was sort of like, no, get out now. No, now go. And that was Chris. And then we kind of took Chris home uh, where, you know, he had a lovely wife and some kids and everything. And then Flint and I drove back to Flint's place where I dropped him off, kind of saying, did we just experience that? Did this just really happen? (laughs) You know, he really is Cobra Commander. So, uh, yeah. My gosh. But 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 Chris yeah, we, was we, always. We, 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 everybody has yeah. a Chris
0: Lotta story. I, I knew I knew that that wouldn't disappoint.
1: <laughs> no no, and he and Arthur Berghardt, who played uh, Destro, were always <laughs> big fun at the recording session and um, threatened yeah, to disrupt bet. the entire session every time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wait, what did Arthur Berghardt do? We have I haven't heard of him being a, a crazy character.
1: Well, he was Destro, oh, yes. and and. He and Chris, I think, I I might be making this up a little bit, but I think he and Chris in the sessions used to kind of try to one-up each other, just like Destro and Cobra Commander. I think they actually (laughs) had that kind of a personality. And Wally Burr, I mean, they were all giant people. Arthur was about 6'5", Chris was maybe 6'2 or 6'3", and then Wally Burr was maybe 6'5", and was an ex-Marine who was the voice wow. director. So they would all be doing their kind of G.I. Joe thing. <laughs> and you had to be just a little bit careful. Just a little bit careful. Because uh, you wouldn't want to get between them. It was like, turn the fire hose, but that was about it. That was about as close as you'd want to get. <laughs>
2: <Right>.
1: <laughs> and then all the other guys... Is there anything you wish you... Uh...
2: Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you wish you could have done with uh, the Deak era stuff that uh, you didn't get a chance to?
1: Well, I would have I would have liked to have just had more control of the show and and made sure. it more the show that I would have liked. And who knows what that would have been. Again, I had a lot of fun doing it. But with the Sunbow series that I worked on, it was so much fun being, you know, kind of a little bit of an auteur uh that that was, that was a very heady experience. It was really, really fun. Um, and hasn't, hasn't happened again that I recall, but, Hmm. uh, yeah, that, that would be the only, the only regret. I mean, if we had, we had a bigger budget, I could have used more than 10 voices. If we could have had, you know, a little sharper edge to the series, if it didn't have to be quite so goofy, of course, of course, that would have been great fun. Um, but, uh, but it was still, it was still a very enjoyable experience.
0: We're definitely having a, a good time uh, in watching it, uh, despite a uh, uh, protestations occasionally from all three of us at different points.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, absolutely, of course. Yeah,
0: uh, I, yeah. I will, I will. I just, you know, I'll just own it. When uh, when Cobra got defeated in hand to hand combat by three kindergarten children, <laughs> I uh, uh, I sort of threw my hands up in the air and got very very upset. I'm not. I, I, am not proud of it, but that, that, that's the moment that got me. That's the
1: I understand. I understand. But if you were a Mm five-year-old and this was your first experience of Cobra Commander, you'd say, yeah, and he had it coming and I would have done it too. So it was a different audience that we were writing for. It's really true. Different crew. Oh, yeah. With the the first, with the first GI Joe, I don't know about Buzz. I wasn't writing or I wasn't working on a show for 10 year olds. I was working on a show for myself. You know, that it seems was to totally, be a common
0: a common thread.
1: Yeah, but I mean, honestly, that's that that's the only way that I can write any of these shows. Even if I'm writing for the five year old me, um, I just can't do it if if I don't if I don't get invested in it that way and really have fun and really feel like I'm living through the experience and having the adventure. And I don't always watch the episodes, but I have lots of fun with the scripts. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a lot of writers I've talked to um, just through this show now uh, don't watch their own episodes, which uh, I'm a narcissist. I'll watch anything if I'm in it. So that's uh-huh. shocking go. to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I no. have not seen many, many, many of my shows. And then when they see, I mean, I watched some of, I was on a, at a Transformers convention, and uh-huh. I actually watched some of the Transformers that I'd worked on, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was not, you know... I, I, I didn't, I didn't cringe much. <laughs> <And> much. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> the Scooby Doos. Okay. That's a little different. I'm I'm so happy that people love them and they were mm-hmm. real. They were really funny when we wrote them. Mm-hmm. They were really funny when we wrote them. And then just the way they were timed and everything, because it was such limited animation and low budget. You didn't quite come across with the same zing, but, but for, again, the five or six year old audience, they, they supplied all the missing budget and all the missing animation with, with their own imaginations. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of the wonderful, Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Now we're going to talk about Cobra world, which we will air next week. So everybody stay tuned for Cobra world. We're going to talk about the episode with Doug Uh, and and Doug. Thank you so much. Any last things you want to say, anything you want to plug, anything you want to put up there, any good TV shows you're watching.
1: Oh, (laughs) Uh, I, I generally watch when I tear myself away from the news, I watch things over my wife or daughter's shoulder. So, (laughs) so they've, they've been getting into modern world, uh, modern family, which is, which is wonderful. And that's been, that's been great fun. And then, you know, I've been catching more, more golden girls. Everybody loves Raymond and Columbo Mm -hmm. than I could believe I would ever be able to watch, but, uh, (laughs) they still work. They still work. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. Might I suggest CBS's second season
1: comedy, (laughs) The Unicorn? (laughs) I I will have to I will have to tune on tune in.
0: (laughs) I I hear there's a great episode involving uh, Thanksgiving from season one, and another great one involving an escape room from season two. It's true, it's true. I think you'll love both of these episodes. (laughs) Highly touted.
1: (laughs) I will for no particular reason watch them probably several times.
0: Awesome. Well, uh Doug, thank you so much. A little bit of a uh, contact information for the show. You can hit us up our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash knowing is half the podcast. Of course, our Patreon, patreon.com slash knowing is half the podcast. Chan, have you sent out the stickers and the magnets yet? What's going on?
2: Look, they're they're, they're in still saf- in a box safely two from your head. They're ready to go anytime now. I Guys, we will afterwards.
0: get you this stuff. I promise. If I have to show up at Chan's door a knocking, <laughs> we will get these out. But uh, seriously, guys, if you, if Chad, if you make me come to your house in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) send out stickers, I will not be happy with you. (laughs) But I'll do it for the people. (laughs) You can also hit up our Twitters. Uh, Doug, do you have any social media that you
1: uh, uh, would want people to know about? Or you kind of stay away from You know, I don't. No, no, I don't. I don't.
0: So you're a watcher right now.
1: (laughs) I'm a watcher. I am. I, I, I watch and troll. Yeah.
0: hey well I appreciate mm-hmm. you you accepting my completely blind friend request on Facebook <laughs> uh, to allowing us to set up this whole thing so thank you for that uh, it must be my my uh, my uh, my caring face
1: it must must be. Be. And, and I've been but I've been watching my chase bank account very carefully since then
0: <laughs> well now that I know it's chase now you're done <laughs> uh, oops, oops. Well, final piece of the puzzle okay guys we can tear down everything we <laughs> 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 you're gonna hit us up on twitter uh at gi joe podcaster individually i am at almighty ray at
2: 999 rpm i'm
0: at gina ippy and thank you so much doug thanks again we're gonna talk about cobra world in just a moment and uh, uh well i mean it'll be airing next week so obviously we're gonna be talking to you again <laughs> next week in the magic of podcasts <laughs> uh doug any last uh, words of advice or encouragement to uh end this episode uh
1: just you know, follow your bliss as best you possibly can, and you'll find your way. More need not be said. Good night, everybody. So when we see
0: some weird things pop up in the Deke era show. We're like, there has to be some stories here. Uh,
1: uh, of <laughs> it of, was of, Martha Moran. It was Martha Moran. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
2: the hold on tight oh, oh. You got to do the fighting with all of your might oh, oh. You got
0: to keep the target straight ahead on your oh. side
2: Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, Give it up, Jimmy, you gotta sink this putt to win. Or, I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world, working actors, comedians, writers, stunt people, you get it, and we do it all over breakfast, or should I say, Brentfast? Every week is a new episode of Breakfast, and here's what you get. Inside Hollywood info, like, how cool is it to act with Ed O'Neill? Spoiler alert, it's really cool. And what the heck is a gaffer? You get great breakfast wrecks and foodie debates like, when should you go hash browns and when do you go home fries? I know the answer to that. Trust me, my pancake posse, my bacon brigade. Listen up, because breakfast is the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in, it's breakfast time. Breakfast with Brent Pope, available at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found.